0: Chapter Twelve of Howarths This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument Colorado. Howarths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter Twelve Granny Dixon. The next time Janie brought her father's dinner to the yard. She sought out Murdoch in a dejected mood. She found him reading over his lunch in the sunshine, and she sat down opposite to him, folding her arms on her lap. "'We're in trouble again at our house,' she said. "'We're allus in trouble. If it's na one thing, it's another.' Murdoch shut his book and leaned back upon his pile of lumber to listen. He always listened. "'What is it this time?' "'This time," querulously. "'This is the worst of the lot. "'Granny Dixon's come back.' "'Granny Dixon?' "'Janie shook her head. That knows not about her,' she said. "'I never tell thee not. "'She's my father's grandmother, "'and she's o'er ninety years old, "'and she's getting money. "'If it were not for that, "'no one'd stand her, but, with a sigh, "'folk canna turn away brass.' "'Having relieved herself of this sentiment,' She plunged into the subject with fresh asperity. There's no knowin' how to tack her Yo mun shout at the top of your voice to her here, and she won't let nout go by. She mun here ow she's goin'. She's out with mister Hexen at the chapel because she says she canna hear him, and he does it a purpose. When she were out with everybody else, she used to say she were goin' to leave her brass to him, and she invited him to tea every neat for a week, and had him set by your chair and talk it were summer-time and i've seed him sit and shout with the sweat a-pourin down his face and his neck-tie all on one side and at the end of a week he had a quincy as were nigh bein the end of him and she never forgive him she said as he were an impudent chap as thou'd too too good for his betters Murdoch expressed his sympathy promptly i wish they'd coom up and talk to her some day thy sin said janey it'd rest us a bit candidly Yon gettin' the kind of voice to mac folk here, though yon donna speak so loud, and if you get close up to her ear and say things slow, you'd get used to it it time. I'll come some day, answered Murdoch, speculating with some doubt as to the possible result of the visit. Her mind relieved, Janie rose to take her departure. Suddenly, however, a new idea presented itself to her active mind. Has the scene Miss French yet? she asked. Yes, he answered what does that think on her he picked up his book and reopened it i only saw her for an instant he said i hadn't time to think anything on his way from his work a few days later he stopped at the Briarly cottage it was swept and garnished there were no traces of the children about before he reached the house there had been borne to him the sound of a voice reading at its highest and shrillest pitch and he had recognized it as Janey's. As he entered, that young person rose, panting from her seat. In her eagerness, almost dropping the graphically illustrated paper she held in her hand. "Eh!" she exclaimed. "I am glad to see thee. I could not ha stood it much longer. She would have me read the to be continued one, and I've been at it nigh an hour." Granny Dixon turned on her sharply. "What art that stopping fur she demanded. "'What's the matter with thee?' Murdoch gave a slight start. The sound was so tremendous that it seemed almost impossible that it should proceed from the small and shriveled figure in the armchair. "'What are they stoppin' fur? she repeated. "'Get on with thee!' Janey drew near and spoke in her ear. "'It's Mr. Murdoch,' she proclaimed. "'Him as I towed you on.' The little bent figure turned slowly, and Murdoch felt himself transfixed by the gaze of a pair of large keen eyes. They had been handsome eyes half a century before, and the wrinkled and seamed face had had its comeliness too. Tha said he were a workin mon she cried after a pause. What did that tell me that theer fur? He is a workin mon said Janey. He's gettin his work clothes on now. Does the i see him? Clothes? announced the voice again. Claws indeed a mon is not made out of claws. I've seed working men afore in my day, and I know em Then she extended her hand, crooking the forefinger like a claw in a beckoning gesture. Come thou here, she commanded, and set thyson down to talk to me. She gave the order in the manner of a female potentate, and Murdoch obeyed her with a sense of overpowering fascination. Where art thou from? She demanded. He made his reply, "From America," as distinct as possible, and was relieved to find that it reached her at once. America, she repeated. I've heerd America often now. That's where the blacks lives and the Indians. I knowed a young chap as went there, and the Indians scalped him. He went there because I wouldn't a had. It were when I were a lass. She paused a moment and then said the last words over again, nodding her head with a touch of grim satisfaction. He went there because I would not have. It were when I were a lass. He was watching her so intently that he was quite startled a second time when she turned her eyes upon him and spoke again, still nodding. I were a handsome lass, she said. I were a handsome lass seventy year ago. It was quite plain that she had been. The thing which was least pleasant about her now was a certain dead and withered suggestion of a beauty of a not altogether sinless order. The recollection of the fact seemed to enliven her so far that she was inspired to conducting the greater part of the conversation herself. Her voice grew louder and louder. A dull red began to show itself on her cheeks, and her eyes sparkled she had been a handsome lass seventy years ago and had had her day as there were dead folk could tell she'll go on in that route all neat if summat don't tuck her off it said janey she likes to talk about that there better than out else but something did happen to take her off it that's gettin sa reason o thee she announced that does not open thy mouth as if thou wanted to swally folk when thou says was thast gotten to say "'There's no working men's ways about thee. Clothes or no clothes, "'Thas the way she goes on,' said Janie. "'She canna buy folk to look soft when they're shoutin' to her. "'That was one of the things she had again Master Hickson. "'She said he gettin' so red at the face, it put her out to patience.' "'I like a man is no a fool,' exclaimed Granny Dixon. "'But there her voice changed and grew sharp and tremulous. "'Where's that flower?' she cried. Who's getting it? Janie turned toward the door and uttered a shrill little cry of excitement. It's Miss French, she said. She's, she's standing at the door. It would have been impossible to judge from her expression how long she had been there. She stood upon the threshold with a faint smile on her lips and spoke to Janie. I want to see your mother, she said. I'll, I'll go and tell her, the child faltered. Will you come in? She hesitated a second, and then came in. Murdoch had arisen. She did not seem to see him as she passed before him to reach the chair in which she sat down. In fact, she expressed scarcely a shadow of recognition of her surroundings, but upon Granny Dixon had fallen a sudden feverish tremor. "'Who did she say you were?' she cried. "'I didna hear her.' The visitor turned and confronted her. "'I am Rachel French.' She said in a clear, high voice, "The dull red deepened upon the old woman's cheeks, and her eyes gained new fire." "You're a good one to macabody here," she said, "and I know yo." Miss French made no reply. She smiled incredulously at the fire. The old woman moved restlessly. "Ay, but I do," she cried. "I know yo. you are French for head to foot. Where did you get that?" She was pointing to a flower at Miss French's throat, a white, strongly fragrant hothouse flower. Miss French cast a downward glance at it. "There are plenty to be had," she said. "I got it from home. I've seen 'em before," said Granny Dixon. "He used to wear 'em in his buttonhole." Miss French made no reply, and she went on, her tones increasing in volume with her excitement. "I'm talking to Will French," she said. He were thy grandfather, he were dead afore you were born. Miss French seemed scarcely interested, but Granny Dixon had not finished. He were a bad un, she cried. He were a devil. He were a devil out and out. I knowed him and he knowed me. Then she bent forward and touched Miss French's arm. The were na a worsen an- nor a bigger devil no she said. And you're the very moral on him. Miss French got up and turned toward the door to speak to Mrs. Brierly, who that moment arrived in great haste, carrying the baby, out of breath, and stumbling in her tremor at receiving gentlefolk company. "'Your visitor has been talking to me,' she remarked, her little smile showing itself again. "'She says my grandfather was a devil.' She answered all Miss Brierly's terrified apologies with the same little smile she had been passing by and had remembered that the housekeeper needed assistance in some matter and it had occurred to her to come in that was all and having explained herself she went away as she had come eh fretted mrs brierly to think o' that the old beast i'm talkin o' that rude to a lady that's allus way wi her she'll make trouble anywhere she made trouble now when she were young she were nae no better than she should be then and she's nae so much better now what's that dart saying demanded the voice a nice way that were for a lady to go out without so much as saying good-bye to a body she's as like him as two peas and he were a devil here to Murdoch, pick up that dear flower she's dropped Murdoch turned to the place she pointed out the white flower lay upon the flagged floor. He picked it up and handed it to her with a vague recognition of the powerfulness of its fragrance. She took it and sat mumbling over it. "'It's the very same,' she muttered. "'He used to wear him in his buttonhole when he coom, and she's the very moral on him.'" End of chapter 12